Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of February 10th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. As we come near to the end of this chapter, as we continue our look through this Gospel of Mark, Jesus has just made or is just completing a pretty long circle of a journey outside of Israel. We saw last week in the early part of this chapter that Jesus left the area of Galilee. He went northwest to the area around Tyre and Sidon near the coast, what would be modern-day Lebanon. And we know from this passage this morning that he continued. He kind of made a big lap before he goes back around and will eventually end up around the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee where the events that take place we're going to read about here in just a few moments take place. So he made this large circle of a trip. It probably took several months to make. And as we get to our passage this morning, we're going to see our Lord demonstrate a level of creativity to demonstrate his personal touch and his power this morning. I hope we'll encourage you and strengthen you as we get a fresh glimpse of our God this morning. Mark chapter 7, we'll begin reading in verse 31. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephaphatha, be opened. His ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word this morning. As we've already prayed this morning, may it produce fruit in accordance with your will. And Lord, may we be encouraged and strengthened this morning as we see afresh the one who came to save us. In his name we pray. Amen. We have a God who, among many other things, is a very creative God. And he tends to do things that we don't expect. It's one of the dangers of Christianity, one of the dangers of faith in God is that sometimes God does these wonderful things in our lives and we think that everything he does from that point forward has to look like what he just did. God very rarely does that in the Scriptures. He tends to do unique things, and he tends to do them one time and move on and does something different the next time. And we look through the Gospels in particular, and even all the miracles and the healing that Christ did, we'll find that very rarely did he do the exact same thing in the exact same way twice. God's a creative God. He uses things that we might not guess. In my own life, one of the times in my life, I, I was going through a, a real crisis of doubt, quite frankly. I was on the missions field with the Southern Baptist Convention up in Indiana. And I began to doubt not only my call to, to ministry, I began to doubt whether or not God even existed. I began to doubt the faith. And as I struggled with this over a period of several weeks, and as I, began to, as I prayed, and, Lord, I need evidence that you are here. I, I need to know that you're here, that this all isn't something 
that I just believe because my dad did or my grandparents did. Of all the strangest things God used, He used the periodic table of elements. You know, the one you see in chemistry class when you were in high school way back when? And yes, that makes me a nerd. God used the periodic table of elements. It flashed in front of my eyes that morning as I was actually on a hike out near a creek. That image came up and, and God just said to me, do you think, because I, I knew a little bit about it, I knew how complex it was, I knew that it had meanings from top to bottom and left to right and gases and liquids and solids and all this intricacy this, in the scientific display of the elements that make up the universe. And God said, do you really think that all that, and all its intricacy and all its complexity and all its, its, its precision, do you really think that's by accident? I went, no. And God started there. He brought me back to a stronger faith in Him. The periodic table of elements. Did you know chemistry class was going to be that fruitful? You guys go, no, over here. They're going, no. <laughs> Our God is a creative God. He uses many different ways and many different things to, to reach us. And as we come this morning to this passage of Scripture, we see our Christ is encountered with a man who is uh, both uh, deaf, unable to hear, and unable to speak, at least unable to speak clearly. Because you can imagine that someone who cannot hear sound has a, a great difficulty in producing sound. It's possible that the, the word for impediment here actually has this idea that he could sort of speak, but it was just garbled. So most likely this was a man who probably was not born deaf and born mute. He, for whatever reason, became that way through the course of his life. So we don't know all those details. God doesn't seem at this time fit to share with us all those details. But we do know this man was brought before Christ. And, and God does something, Christ does something really unique here. Now, we saw even earlier in the Gospel of Mark that some of the healings that Christ did were in public. If you may remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the woman who came to just in the midst of the crowd just to touch the, the, the hem of his garment, and she was healed instantly. We saw when he talked to, to Jairus, and he came into the house, and he spoke to his daughter and raised her from the dead. We've seen Jesus do all kinds of different things. We saw the conversation he had last week with the Syrophoenician woman, and casting the demon out from her daughter. He didn't even go there. He just said, it's done. Just spoke it into existence. And this time, there's a crowd around. There's this man brought to him. And what Jesus does is the exact opposite of what he did with that woman who touched the garment. You may remember that story. He, he, the, the woman touched his garment, and Jesus stops the crowd and says, who is it that touched me? And everybody's going, really? Everybody's touching you. And he, he kind of calls her out in the middle of the crowd. And her desire was to be kind of unnoticed. This man is brought in with a crowd, and Jesus takes him off to the side. In fact, he takes him by himself. This is a one-on-one -on -one encounter that we're seeing here. And he does something quite unexpected. At least, if you're me, I think this is unexpected. He sticks his fingers in his ears. How many of y'all saw that one coming? He spits on his hands and takes his saliva and puts it on the tongue of the guy who can't speak. Now, normally that makes you kind of go, ew. I guess it's Jesus with saliva, though, so you kind of go, okay. Holy spit. It's not what you would expect, is it? There's nothing about this that's 
what you would call expected. And yet he does it. I got to thinking this, this week of all the things that God did in scriptures that's really kind of out there. God used a donkey to talk to a guy one time. Y'all know the story of the talking donkey? By the way, if God could use a donkey, he could use you. <laughs> he used a burning bush, a fig tree. He came to Elijah through fire and wind and ultimately through a still, small voice. He used a big fish. And even with Jonah, he also used later on in that book, God basically made a big weed grow behind Jonah. He even used a big weed. He empowered Samson because of a, of a covenant end with long hair. He parted the sea. There's one day he made the sun stand still so Joshua could continue the battle. He used rainbows and doves, changed a stick into a snake, turned water into blood. The list is endless. God does what we look like and go, that's kind of weird. But God uses things like this all the time. We have an infinitely creative God, which if we think about it, shouldn't really surprise us because we have a God who is the creator. Think of the infinite diversity of what people look like, what animals look like, and what plants look like on this earth. The infinite beauty of the universe, why would we be surprised that he is anything other than creative? Christ does something really unexpected here. And I think part of what's taking place is, in his creativity and in his love for us, God knows what we need when he comes to us and speaks to us. This man, if we knew him more intimately, if we knew more about him, we would probably find out that of all the ways this man was going to be receptive to what Christ was going to do, apparently this was the perfect technique. So I think not only is this an expression that Christ is incredibly creative, that our God is incredibly creative as he comes to us, as he works through creation, but it also tells me that God and that Christ loves us. I want you to see this. Not only does he do something completely unexpected, verse 34, it says that he did this with a deep sigh. Now I know a sigh can mean many things depending upon the context, you know, he, Y'all know what a sigh is? Now, for us, a sigh can mean many different things. It may mean that you're frustrated. It might mean that you're tired. Whatever the details of an individual sigh, what it does mean is that there's emotion involved, that there's feeling involved. Our, our God is not an unfeeling, cold force, if you will. He is not someone who looks down upon us and just feels nothing. Christ, as he was constantly being confronted with those who were hurting and those who were suffering and those who did not know him, as we saw again earlier in this chapter, last couple of chapters, when he fed the 5,000, he says, it says that he looked upon them and saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That's a, that's a descriptive phrase because that, again, implies to us that he was caring and that he felt for them. This might be somewhat similar to when Christ went to the tomb of Lazarus, and before he raises Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says that Jesus wept. 
Our God is a God who loves, who cares, and who feels deeply. And so as Christ comes to this man who has no hearing and who cannot speak, something has moved our Master as He is in the process of grabbing the guy's ears and putting his spit in his mouth. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why Christ sighed. But I have a couple of guesses. As this man struggles to communicate, as this struggle struggles to hear, can you imagine the isolation this guy has? He has a sight. So he can see the world around him. He can... He can see what's going on. He can perhaps imagine to himself what's happening. But because he cannot hear and because he cannot speak, there is no communication with the outside world. He can see it, but he can't talk to it. He can't interact with it. He can just kind of watch. Now, watching might be okay for a while. I imagine you all spent some hours this last week perhaps watching TV, maybe watching a basketball game, watching a football game. We Some of us did that last Sunday night. But there's a difference between watching and interacting, isn't there? This is a guy who, probably for all practical purposes, cannot really interact. And what happens when, that, what happens when you're in that situation? You're isolated. So uh, maybe Jesus is looking at this man and seeing his isolation, seeing the fact that he can't speak to anybody, that he can't hear anybody, and that he's kind of alone as a result. And maybe the sigh is a sigh of pain and anguish for this one who is in so much pain. Maybe it's also a sigh that as Jesus looks at the greater thing, I think this is part of what happens in John chapter 12 when Jesus weeps before he raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus looks around them and he sees the people around him. He sees the people as sheep without a shepherd. He sees, he sees the results of a world that is full of sin and rebellion. I don't know who this individual man was. I don't know what his life was like. I don't know what his heart was like. I don't know what was in his past. God doesn't tell us. But I know this, that as God loves his people, and as he sees the creatures that he made in his image on this earth, and as he sees the ravages of sin on a people that he has made, it cannot help but make him hurt. Our God does feel. Now, He doesn't feel in quite the way you and I feel, but He does feel. He, he does it perfectly. We do it kind of, <laughs> we, mess, we mess up feelings. He has them perfectly. And I, I wonder if Christ, when He sees this man, hurts for Him, and even sighs at the deeper consequences that this man is, is evidence of, that sin has produced death and has produced corruption. And this man is, is living that out because of his deafness and his muteness. The ravages of sin. And let me, let me digress a little bit here. As tragic as it is to see death and disease and sickness, even poverty, as tragic as things like refugees and the victims of war are, as, as horrific as that kind of pain is, it's an even greater cause of sorrow for our Lord to believe and to know 
that the human heart, which was made to love and to know God and be loved by Him, has been turned away from Him. Can you imagine the pain of a parent? Maybe some of you know what it would be. Imagine the pain of a parent whose child turns his or her back on on their mom or their dad. I can't imagine something more painful. And yet God and our Christ on this day is surrounded by people whose hearts, while made to know and to love and to worship their Lord God, has in fact turned away. I don't know all the details of Jesus' sigh on this day. But I do know the things that the Scriptures tell, tell us God feels. And so this man who stood before our Lord, unable to communicate, unable to hear, living out the consequences of a world that's been cursed by sin, and our, our God takes him to the side and expresses emotion, expresses feeling. We have a creative God, but we also have a, a loving God. And in his love and his creativity, he pulls this man aside. And again, he, he kind of grabs him by the ear and sticks his fingers in the ear. Now you kind of wonder, what was, what was Christ doing here? I don't know. I do know this. It wasn't the sticking the finger in his ears. and It wasn't the touching of his tongue. That wasn't what healed him. If we go back and read here, what healed him was when Jesus said, the words. So he wasn't touching his ears and doing that to heal him. So what was he doing? Well, remember, this guy cannot hear. So how does he know what Jesus is going to do? All he knows is his friends have brought him there. This guy can't speak, so he can't even ask the question, who is this guy and what's he going to do? So he can't communicate, he can't speak, he can't ask, he can't understand. So what does Jesus do to a guy who cannot understand what he's about to do? He grabs him by the ears. So maybe that was a sign to this guy, oh, by the way, I'm getting ready to do something with your ears. And by the way, you can't talk. So what I'm going to do is... By the way, don't really wait for me to do that to you. That's going to happen. (laughs) I think what Jesus is doing, he takes this guy aside by himself. He doesn't do this in front of everybody else. He doesn't stick his fingers in his ears and grab him by the ears in front of the crowd. He takes him by himself one-on-one. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's letting this guy know on a way that he can understand, I'm here to help this way. I mentioned that periodic table a while ago. For whatever reason, at that point in my life, that was the perfect way to talk to me. Our Lord is not just creative and loving. He is also a personal God. And by, that, and by that I mean this. He not only knows how many hairs are on your head. He not only knows you before you were even formed to the wound. He not only knows your personality, he, your quirks and those things you don't want anybody else to know. He knows the best way to come and speak to you. He knows the way to tell you who He is and He's going to fashion that for you. He's not changing what he's saying, but he will come to you in a way that's often unique for you. I think he took this man aside and as an expression of his love, communicated to him by grabbing his ears and touching his tongue that I'm here 
to heal and to deal with you as, as you are. I think he does that. Each one of us, if I was to ask you this morning, how did you come to know our Christ? While there would be perhaps many similarities, we would probably all have something at least a little bit different and unique from the person next to us. I could, I could talk. Yeah, I was nine years old. I was in a revival service. My dad was the associate pastor. I'm a preacher's kid. And there would be others who have similar circumstances. Yeah, they, God uh, was in a worship service or a revival service. And you could say something similar. But you know, I remember in that service thinking to myself, I had seen something in my mom and dad that I wanted. I knew I didn't have. And I, I was able to find my dad at the end of the service. I was able to walk up. It was revival services in the rodeo center in Springdale, Arkansas. I got saved at the rodeo. Yeehaw! <laughs> and that's a unique story. My testimony will not be exactly like anybody else's. God comes to us in a personal way. He knows you. He knows me. And He comes to you and He comes to me and He probably won't stick His fingers in your ears. So don't wait for that. But He will do exactly what is needed in your heart and your life to come to you and let you know that He is there. So He grabs Him by the ears. And he does something unique. Touches this guy's tongue and lets him know what is about to happen. And he says, be opened. You may remember in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark, there was a leper that came up before Jesus and said, yeah, I know if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, it says, reached out and touched him. You didn't touch lepers in that day. Jesus always comes to us where we are. Now, he doesn't leave us there, <laughs> but he does come to us there. And so our God is creative. He is loving. And because He is loving, He comes to us personally and He communicates with us in a way that we know and a way that will be helpful and effective to us. And then He does something powerful. He heals with His Word. Be opened, He said. And all of a sudden the guy's ears were opened. Said that He was able, His ears were opened and that the impediment of His tongue was removed. I want to tie this to verse 37. Verse 37 says the people around him saw this thing, saw what had happened, saw the results. They said, all, all, this is a kind of a proclamation that sums up the last couple of chapters. And it says, he has done all things well. There's a couple of things happening here. It often takes place. This verse isn't to be understood by itself. It's understood in the context of the entirety of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And the phrasing that Mark uses here, there's a couple things it does that ties things from the Old Testament into the Scripture. First of all, the way he phrases that comment there, he, that uh, he's done all things well, it's a very unique phrasing. And the only time we really ever see it is in Genesis, when God has made creation. And at the end of the six days of creation, God looks upon all that He has made, and He says, that's good. It's the same phrasing. Jesus has restored this man's hearing and his tongue, so to speak, and says, and the people around him have said, wow, that's, that's good. 
On top of that, there is something about this particular type of miracle. There's something about the healing of the deaf and the mute that has particular importance to us this morning. If I were to go back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 35 in particular, in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, in speaking of the day that there will be one that God has sent to his people, it says this, The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the dead or the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like deer, the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the Arabah. John the Baptist will at one point in the other, one of the other Gospels send messages to Jesus and say, are you, really, are you really the one we're supposed to follow? And Jesus will go back and say, tell him these things. And he lists the miracles, and that's the proof. The people of Israel understood that these types of healings were signs of the Messiah. And so I don't know if the people in Mark chapter 7 probably knew all that they were saying. They probably didn't. But in their proclamations and in Jesus' Uh, miracles, what we see is God saying, see this one right here? I sent him. And in the first part of the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John and elsewhere, we see Jesus begins his ministry in the baptismal waters of the Jordan River and God shines that light down on John the Baptist, hears the voice of God saying, behold, my son in whom I am well pleased. The people of the Decapolis, see this miracle. The people of the Galilee area have seen what's taking place. And they, again, they probably don't catch everything that's going on, but they know enough to say, that's good. And the miracles that Jesus proclaimed him to be, the one whom God had promised all the way also back in Genesis. This man that we call Jesus is also the one whom God has sent he does all things well. Our God is creative. He is loving. He's personal. He's powerful. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God loves you? Now, most of you in this room will probably go say yes. But do we understand that God's love is is infinite in a way that we can really hardly understand. I was thinking as David was speaking this morning, and yeah, I know the, the cliche, the stereotypes of Gideon's Bibles, the hotel rooms and the hospitals, and I know that's probably the first thing many of us think. And there's a reason for that. But I wonder how many men and women through the, through the decades may be in a hotel room, maybe from a school, maybe from a prison, have taken up a, a copy of God's Word, have opened it up, and God, in a way that was unique and personal to them, made His Word known. And like this man who couldn't understand because he had no hearing and couldn't worship because he had no tongue, that the Word of God and the salvation of Christ comes to them, they are healed, so to speak, of their spiritual, of their, their sin, and the result is they can now hear the words of God say, I love you, and now they can worship. Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe and do you understand that there's no sin you can commit? 
There's no background, there's no race you can come from that God cannot overcome. And even this morning, perhaps as those who are believers in Christ, to be reminded that the power of our God to forgive and show mercy is greater than our, our ability to defeat it. Do you believe God loves you? I have a feeling that after this encounter, this man who was once mute and deaf no longer had to ask that question. The answer was a, was a resounding yes. And so this man who was isolated and was alone in many ways is now rejoined with our Lord and with the people around him and can now, with the waters of Isaiah 35, with the waters and with the rocks and the trees, he can now cry out, my Lord and my God. I want you to know this morning, our God loves you. And there's no end to the ways or to the lengths that he will go to show you that he loves you.